Welcome to episode 67 of the KZU Poetry Slamcast. My name is Tracy Smith. This week's episode is part two of the 2002 Slam Finals. The guest features and hosts are Shappy and Kristen O'Keefe Aptowitz, a.k.a. Shaptowitz. We're going to start things off with the feature poets, followed by the first round of Slam. You will also, you will also hear... Crystal Ash doing the sacrificial poem for the slam. She was the slam master of the other Chicago slam, not the famous Green Meal slam, the famous Mad Bar slam. For anyone listening to this podcast who wasn't at the Craft Brow back in the day and isn't familiar with the venue, it's right next to the railroad tracks. And there's a freight train that would come through sometimes twice during the show that was, hmm, I'm going to say... 15 feet at the most, 15 feet from the window on the side of the stage. And if the train came through while you were performing a poem, tough titties. You were expected to keep going as best you could, so you had to amp up your energy and compete with a freight train. It was one of my favorite things about that venue. I just wanted to mention that because you're going to hear something wonderful happen. You may not hear the train, be able to hear the train. It might not have picked up on the mic, but you definitely hear uh, the response. A little bit of context and slam history for you. This is Slam Poem. Later, like the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that never crossed I am the smith. I am the poet. I am the industrial We have the we have the Kalamazoo CD in New York, and we adore it, and we're really proud uh, that you guys are such becoming such a fearful presence in the national scene. You guys may not know it here, but Kalamazoo went from like, oh, who cares? Kalamazoo's in my match to like, fucking shit! Kalamazoo, what? We don't even understand where they get it from. It's like, you know? And then like, there's all the mind control drugs that they slip in the jugs of Kraft Brow yeah. Brew. Yeah. That they share so generously at the Nationals. That's right. So thank you all for uh, coming out here. And I'm going to let Shappy start off the second half. Oh, really? Okay. This isn't so much a poem as it is a warning. It's a parable, if you will. And it is, t- it is entitled Quacky, The Duck Who Loved the Internet yeah. a Little Too Much. <laughs> quack, enter. Quack, return. Click, quack, click. Click, click, click. Quack, quack, quack. What the fuck? It's a duck. Type it on my keyboard. His web feet type pretty sweet in the chat room. Oh, my Lord. It's Quacky, the duck who loved the internet. Quacky. I said his name twice so you shan't forget. Man, this duck is online all the motherfucking time. Getting directions from Yahoo on how to fly south. And when Quacky gets horny, he'll dial up some porn man. Quacky's got a filthy mouth. Quack, enter, quack, return, all the goddamn time. Click, 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 quack, quack, quack. Hey, Quacky, get offline. The other ducks have tried to call you on the telephone. 
but you so busy typing you got ducky tunnel syndrome. Quacky, get outside, brother. Spread your little ducky wings and fly. Come on, Quacky. Try, Quacky. Try your social life, Quacky. Do you remember that? Now all you do is type and chat. All the other ducks think you're whack. So get off that internet, quack, quack, quack. You smell bad, quacky. Your eyes be red, quacky. For fuck's sake, get off the goddamn computer, quacky! Oh no. Quacky's dead. That internet finally gone done you in, boy. Of my friend, Quacky. I can only say this. Of all the internet-loving waterfowl I've encountered in my travels, his soul was the most human Quack, enter, quack, delete, end of program. See. That poem is featured in Chappie's brilliant CD, which is on sale, which you guys all should pick up because it's like 17 Chappie poems, you know. You can't play it at work, but it's, it's hilarious. Uh, and this poem is, will continue the theme of uh, the internet. And it's a, it's a poem about my day job. And it goes out to all the artists out there who have to work really crappy uh, day jobs to support their art. And mine ranks up there as the crappiest. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you wake up in the morning, take a shower, get dressed, go to work, and the first thing you do is turn on your computer screen and stare at pictures of two hot, hard guys doing each other in the mouth and butt, you are either on the road to getting fired or you are me. Let me tell you something. When the cute guy from tech comes down to audit your computer for illegal hardware and finds three fisting videos, a beginner's guide to BDSM, the complete trailer for the film Ejacula, and the strip poker game featuring a character named Sally Three Tits, and all he can say is, hey, everything seems to be in order, then honey, you can be safe in the assumption that you are the resident badass. That's right. Ugh. <laughs> this shit does not happen in New York City! There's a motherfucking train right there! Okay, mental note, do not drink any more of the craft brow beer. Experiencing a delusion. That's right. This is so distracting. 
The train conductor's like, fuck you, New York poet. <laughs> That's right. I'm my internet company's dirty little secret. I'm the porn girl. The only one on the floor. The only one in the building. The only one getting paid cash money to write copy like panting for panties. Let us get you to the brink with photos of ladies wearing nothing but wet cotton. You all don't understand how impressive that is, man, until you write for porn and you realize like nine months into it, you just want to write like wet slut slut post. <laughs> Cunt hole eager beaver post. <laughs> gay gay dicky dicky post. I get people to the brink all day long and I don't even have to be in the same country as them. I'm the new millennial badass. Call me up at two in the afternoon and I'll tell you the URL where you can watch Tanya Harding fuck for free. Break up with your boyfriend and I will have him insert into an all leather daddy gay erotica piece where his name will be the online glory hole flashpoint for so many cock tugging burly bear men that when he finally goes home to the girl he broke up with you to be with, he'll be coming HTML all over her banana republic, beige tweet skirt, oh yes! I'm that girl, I'm the troublemaker, piss me off and guess whose head's gonna get photoshopped into a threesome with Strom Thurmond and George W. Bush. That's right, I'm so hardcore compared to me, Ron Jeremy's only double X. I'm so hardcore my boss once yelled at me for looking at CNN.com. I'm so hardcore that my computer dictionary now accepts the words wetty, mangina, and buttgasm. A word I created myself. And I am so hardcore that I'm writing poetry during my lunch break. And I am so hardcore I am writing this poem during my lunch break. And I am so hardcore that I wish my lunch break lasted all day because I'd much rather be known as the poet girl than the porn girl. But I'm so hardcore. I live in a country that only spends four cents per citizen on the arts. And I'm so hardcore that when I tried to live off my art and art alone, I had to budget myself five ramen noodles a week just to be able to pay rent, and I am so hardcore when I tried to find a job, no one, and I mean no one motherfuckers would hire me, and I am so hardcore, I took the first damn job that came along and lucked out with a rock and roll job where I watch naked people do naked things to each other all day long and get a paycheck every two weeks like the perfect cum shot. But I am so hardcore that I don't even care because the truth of the matter is I'm being paid not to write my own stuff for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, and if that ain't the definition of the anti-badass, I don't know what is. But don't worry about me, honeys, because I got a plan. And not only that, I got a savings account with a bitchin' interest rate. And as soon as I suck off the porn industry for all the bling-bling that I can till I got $100 bills rolling down the insides of my thighs, then I am kicking porn to the curb becoming the real new millennial badass, writing poetry all day, everyday poetry so hardcore that when it finally bursts through that hot white wall of academia, all of my readers are going to come in unison and only an iambic pentameter.
What's that in your hands, love? What's that in your hands? Why, it's my nutsack, isn't it? My tender little furry nutsack. Careful, my love. Treat it gently and gingerly, for it's quite sensitive and precocious. A teasing tickle, fine. A playful pinch, fine. But please, love, do not punch him. Do not kick him. Do not pull on him as if he were the starting cord on a Toro lawn mower. I suppose what I'm getting at is kiss him, please, won't you please lick my nutsack? Lick it clean, lick it nice, lick it with reunity on ice, lick it like a luscious lolly, lick it with vim and vigor by golly, lick it like delicious ice cream, lick it after a shot of Jim Beam, lick, lick, lick like you just don't care, and please don't choke on a tiny black hair, lick, 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 lick my little Forsinski, and I bet you thought I'd make a joke about Monica Lewinsky, but I won't cause that would be hack, so please continue gargling on my nutsack. Keep licking my furry beanbag. I'm begging you, please. Lick it. I swear there will be no head cheese. But if head cheese there shall be, with a Q-tip, I will wipe him clean. So keep licking, you crazy kid. Lick my nutsack. You'll be glad you did. I usually do that with a little Barry White music behind me, but uh, I, I forgot to bring it. And Shappy still asks, why don't you bring your parents to our joint readings? I don't know, honey. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, let's do an erotic portion of our set. But now I realize it's not very erotic. <laughs> um, so, okay, so that is also on the CD. And I have a book about, uh, I have two books, Dear Future Boyfriend, This Is What I Sound Like, which worked. I got Shaffy. And um, I suggest if you're a... <laughs> and then... Uh, and this, and my, I have a book about uh, me, my experiences working as a porn writer called Hot Teen Slut Gets Fucked in the Head, which is uh, the only book to ever be uh, potentially banned from the Poetry Slam website. But Ernie Klein, who was the first poet you heard tonight, a poem by him, put it on and uh, it was like, fuck them, try to take it off on the webmaster. So that's pretty cool. But putting that book out, a lot of women were like, 
a woman working in porn, I just can't believe that you're actually enjoying it and you know, don't you have any problems with it? And the truth is, like, as much as I enjoyed it, because porn is really changing, and I think it's it's really good for women to be interested in it. Uh, there is, <laughs> I do, man. You learn a lot. Um, I, there is one problem that I do have with porn, and this is my poem about it. My pussy is tired of being wet. Silence. <laughs> I am not talking about the physical state here, people. I am talking about the slang word wet. How come dudes get all the cool words for sexual arousal, like hard and erect and rare and explode, and all women get is wet? <laughs> Something that happens to dogs and umbrellas. Oh, and what is this magical substance causing us to get wet called? Oh, that's right. It's called our wetness. <laughs> How original. We are made wet by our wetness. When I began working for porn, I thought I'd come across a far more interesting and hopefully more arousing terms than wet, but no, y'all, it's all wet, 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 wet. Oh, I'm getting so wet. Yeah, she's really getting wet. Oh my God, her ass is getting wet. Which is huge right now in porn. Getting her so horny, her ass is wet. Huge. And the synonyms that I found for wetness were even worse, if you can imagine, than wetness. I am talking about pussy sauce, <laughs> pussy juice, vaginal drippings, and I shit you not, feminine mucus. Like that guy didn't have a thesaurus built into Microsoft Word to come up with something better than mucus. That is some anti-cunnilingus lingo. No guy wakes up going like, huh, I think I'd like to have some mucus today. Huh, feminine mucus. Fair wife come to me. But then I, but then I, but then I realized that it is not porn's fault because porn is like a seven-year-old boy. You'll have to follow me on this. It only calls things what it's heard other people call them. So that's what I knew it was up to me, up to me to change the world or at least how the world views things that come out of my pussy. So I have done it here, people. I've created a new female empowerment word for feminine wetness, and I'm doing my part here. I'm putting every porn story I write, every form I monitor, and every chat room I am forced to go into, but it is not enough. I need this to be a grassroots effort here, people. So, the next time you are making love to a lady, or if you're a lady being made love to, I need you to start using my new female empowerment word for feminine wetness, and that word is sass. Let it sink in, y'all. Sass, it's a noun, lick my sass. It's a verb, I'm getting all sassed up, and it's an adjective, isn't me, or is Tracy getting y'all sassy? It's short, it's sweet, it sounds great when grunted. It's empowering for women to use and easy for men to remember. Because come on, y'all, it only consists of two letters. And also it rhymes with ass. 
And I know that some people might think it's silly to name something as frivolous as sass, but I don't think women are claiming their sexualities enough. Men are filling up thesauruses with nicknames for their balls, and we don't even have slangs for our own clits, perhaps the most powerful organ in the entire universe. <laughs> the closest thing that I have ever heard it called is a button. That shit should be called like the mini ultra mega rocket. <laughs> or like the vortex, you know? Like, don't like, oh honey, could you lick my butt and be like, honey, time to spend a little more time in the vortex. But if we are gonna start anywhere, let's start where all good things start with a lot of sass. So are you with me here, people? Are you ready to bring this sassafrific revolution to its feet? Because I want every girl in America proud of her pussy. Every man in America know the name of what he's licking. And every person in America remember our motto. When you're making love with pride and class, remember it ain't wet anymore. It's sass. And now that we have Let's give it up for all of our open micers, ladies and gentlemen. And now that we have properly filthed up the craft brew space, are we ready to slam? We're going to do... How many people here have never been to a slam before? By show of applause. One dude. One dude who we brought. <laughs> the one guy we brought doesn't... Poetry competition sounds great. That was a quick impression of him today at Old Old Peninsula. Yeah. OP. I'm Down not good OP? at impressions. <laughs> so anyway, what essentially <laughs> a slam is, it's a device that we poets created to get more people to listen to poetry. What we do is we give you, the public, the ability to judge who, who you see on the stage. Usually it's an elimination slam, but this night we're choosing the team that will send Kalamazoo the Kalamazoo will send two nationals to scare the shit out of New Yorkers like us. Hey, hey. <laughs> we don't understand y'all, but we fear y'all. Fucking trains running at us. And what we do is we give five random people or groups of people in the audience scorecards. Oops, chef, can you get my jacket? I left it in there. Oh, did you? All right. <laughs> Aww. Applause for Shappy, my boyfriend slash lackey. We've given them five. What they'll do is they'll score five. Uh, the, the six poets coming to the stage tonight on a score of zero being the worst poem you have ever written, performed so horribly, people want to throw pee at you. <laughs> Unless you're into it like apparently Seth Meyers is. Um, 210 being a brilliant poem, performed brilliantly, executed perfectly, and that will, will never leave your mind. And those judges... Why don't you introduce them? All right. That we pick tonight are? All right, judges, when we call out your name, please wave your scorecard so we know where you are so we can get those numbers that are so important to the <coughs> beautiful work of, of these fine poets because we can't really understand poetry unless there's a numerical value. <laughs> so let's give it up for Kate and what is this? Dale. Dale? Kate and Dale? Kate and Dale over there All in the right. corner. There's our judges. Make sure to use your your flashlight when you show your scores. Do you guys have flashlight? Do you guys have a flashlight? Did you guys have a flashlight? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just hold it up. Yeah, to there the we score go. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, oh number God. our second judge for this evening. Let's give it up for the lovely Bianca. 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 
All the way by the bar. Don't forget the flashlight when you do. You have a flashlight, Bianca. All right. Looks like I'll be going into the crowd, Phil Donahue style tonight. <laughs> Next judge, we have Scott. Where is Scott? Right Scott. there. Scott. Ah. From <laughs> and next, our next judge is Seth, Mr. Seth. There he is. In Let's the give, front it up. Row. give it up for Seth. Oh my God! Another fucking train. Yeah. <coughs> it's a mystery train. And our last judge is Scott. Let's see Scott. Yay! There he is. All right. Give these judges a round of applause now because you're not going to want to clap for them later. Five scores. We drop the highest, drop the lowest, and combine the three together. But, judges, it's very important that you listen to your hearts. We're going to give you a sacrificial... Miss Crystal Ash. Give it up for Crystal Ash. All right. I know I'm not supposed to talk and stuff. I just want to say we just voted the National Poetry Slam to come to Chicago in 2003. And I'm so excited about it because it's like only a two-hour drive for all you guys. And, I, and I'm pretty glad to be here tonight. Okay. The Boundaries of Beautification. Doorstep crooners sounding like Liberace heckle the night as it walks by, beckoning it to come on in and spend its money, spend a little time under the disco ball. Gentlemen of the evening flirt and catcall from second-story windows to crew-cut boys holding hands. Ten-minute, ten-dollar, and all I can think is, can those shorts get any shorter? This is Halstead, Boys Town, Chicago, but my Halstead is different than Bruce Jackson's Inglewood intersections. My junkie saying, can I get, can I get panhandling at 7-Eleven? Our glamour boys with GQ dues and Gutierrez shirts and Gucci belts. Their clothing, their style is not on the don'ts page in details. On a south end of Halstead, junkies have clothes with a coating of poverty, a layer of decade-old neglect, and maybe kids at home starving. In the alleys of Boys Town, blowjobs are traded for lines and smacked by hustlers who can go home to their families in Barrington when they get tired of sucking dick for money and say, boys that will step through the front door and say, hey, I'm home. I'm not gay anymore, and go to sleep under Laura Ashley's sheets surrounded by Martha Stewart, Frank Feng Shui, and the vacant lots and abandoned houses overwhelming Halstead from 55th to 75th. 11-year-old girls are raped. 11-year-old boys are shot. They die among silent mouths. Junkies don't go back to a better place. They end up under white sheets. Halstead stretches miles from north to south, but City Hall only recognizes 13 blocks. City Hall made the sidewalks nice and roomy so the boys could hold hands side by side. They spent million on rainbow metal cocks that they call beautification. Stupefication, I call it. Million dollar markers to keep the homophobic away. The money should have been spent on AIDS research, on aid of some kind. Those round planners with street names and metal grids have become the centers for candlelit vigils. Ribbons, poems, and photos grow instead of ivy. And names like Matthew Shepard and Ryan Harris are taped over Roscoe, Buckingham, and Cornelia. Hate crimes, rape crimes, crimes of ignorance. Beautification currency can't change these atrocities. But City Hall thinks that making 13 blocks pretty in gay camouflage can hide those same ugly things things inside the Boys Town boundaries and conceal the Halstead of Cabrini Green, of Maxwell Street, of Pilsen, of Bruce Jackson's Inglewood intersections. Crystal Ash, give it up for her, ladies and gentlemen. First Kalamazoo poet of the evening. Give it up for Drac. 
the older I get, the less comfort I glean from those people who've been technically dead and then revived who describe moving towards a brilliant light. Perhaps this is how eternal torment begins. I draw away from the light. In darkness, there's peace. While our culture runs towards the light, the solar deity and programming whispers, the light is good, is male, is action, is progress. The dark is bad, female, dangerous, primitive. Every white bigot and every sexist I've ever met pinned it up with that litany. My only prayer will be silence as I run into darkness, into the vast shadowed spring that gives birth to myth. Let me embrace the void where magic still lingers and drive out the deathly certainty of the light. Light the shining killer, the joyless, the regimented. Light up the workplace so we can work longer hours than any ancient field slave. Light the foe of rest. Run, children, from the light. I am the light and the life, saith the Lord. But who was the angel of light? Run, children from the light where your faults will be exposed and detailed, from the light of control where the enlightened will be above you, their words, the speech of masters to servants, their bright laws writ in gold and silver gleaming. From the light of altars, the light of television, run to the dark, to winter's night clarity. Words still work here, smoke and mirrors don't. Illusion dies and useless eyes close to conquer fear and sorrow. Draw strength from its source. Drink in survival because the light is coming. The light of Hiroshima leaving human photo negatives on stone and concrete. The light in the eyes of the madmen who rule us all. Cities spread, arms of light and the stars fade. Video flickers and sacred tales of ancient times are forgotten. Bright lights and bright baubles beckon and the tongues of our ancestors blur into oblivion. In darkness, we know ourselves for animals saddled with that spirit of light and we know the loss and the lie of it. In the light, we are rational enough to forget this and something dies beyond reclamation. In darkness is a grandmother Aeons old, warm as summer storm cloud twilight, who would paint upon you with a murmuring thunder, magic and wisdom such as gods were weaned on. There isn't enough darkness. Let my deities be dark, for the light now comes. I will run into... All right, judges, scores in the air. Scores in the air. Yep, yep, yep. I'm, I don't say anything. I can see it. Could you raise the lights up a little? Okay, <laughs> I can see it. Okay, we have... Oh, just shine the flashlight on that? Yeah. Okay, okay, we got it. It is, oh, perfect, perfect. We have a 7.7, an 8, an 8.3, a 7.4, and an 8.7. For Drac, we applaud the poet here, not the inane judging. 
And that gives us a total score of 24 even. And we applaud the poet again. And keep that applause going as we bring up the next slammer of the first round. Please welcome up to this stage, Beth. One full week of cabbage soup, water, and unsweetened fruit juice guaranteed to lose 10 pounds. She swayed between sneaky jigsaw puzzle handfuls of pretzels and starvation. Slicing into guava and watercress, her new Californian diet to the stars mailed UPS from her skinny sister. She ate slowly, taking tiny bites, because she wanted to be featherweight, practically weightless, to drift like a conversation focusing on her body just long enough to notice imperfections and set about becoming someone smaller. One of a million ripples on the surface of the sea beneath her figure waxing and waning while she missed the full moon of her power eclipsed by her desire for media-bred beauty. She tightened the belt of determination around her waist while her basement grew fat with every lose-that-ass-thigh-breast-hip-break-down-a-woman machine to pass through the subtle commercial-strained subconscious of weeknight TV miniseries meant for housewives who collect dusty graveyards of unused Nordic track, thigh master, ab blaster, slim fast, sexy in a can, and they hand the legacy down to the daughters of their insecurities when they've given up on changing themselves. And mom, I'm not saying I won't follow some of your footsteps. I hope I have half the strength of a woman who completes a PhD, births two children, maintains a husband, and works full time. The patience of a woman who waits six years for her husband to die and drives all morning after hospital chest shocks and IVs just to be the first one to tell her daughter he's dead and we're all going to be okay. Mom, I do admire you. But I don't want to float from palm to palm like a dandelion exhaled into the wind of a needy husband's ego. I want to stay where I put myself, because I'm going to be heavyweight, going to bear the weight of my own life stuffed full of sweet things. I want to be every ripple on the surface of that sea and the overflowing moon spilling down on me, swimming in every ripple of my female body, nourishing each muscle and bone as if the structure of my life depended on every tendon beneath this skin and I won't let my daughter grow up terrified of her own growling needs. I won't teach her to take tiny bites and she will never feel the ache of a body starving for approval because I will show her her beauty every day and not in the way I comb her hair or dress her small frame but in the way I wear myself the way I say my name I will fill our plates high raise my tongue to the sky and tell her every night we we thank the Earth Mother for her round, ripe fruits, her full, fertile, swaying fields of grain. We thank our Mother for all her glorious gifts. Let's give it up for Beth. It's a kinetic teeming that streams between students, flows full force between their ears, eyes, and minds, blazing a straight path from the hands of the teacher. Mostly, we teach what is given, the answers laid out in the backs of books, study guides, and student handouts, but sometimes we must teach only from what we know. And I learned that from 3'11", 5th grade Jerome. 
He sat in the back of his class with the extreme distance of a rain-soaked horizon, looking lost right there where he was supposed to be. And every time I taught his art class, I was shown how cruel kids can become. They called him imp, elf, midget, monkey, gnome, and a hundred other nicknames to remind him of how tiny he was until he walked up to me and in these exact words said, It must be golden to be tall. Explaining that being small must be all the things wrong in the world rolled into one. And I watched Jerome cry for five minutes, thinking of myself at his age, hovering over everyone. You see, when I was in the fifth grade, my teachers would call on me anytime they couldn't reach something, and my classmates, they called me giraffe, tree trunk, jolly green giant, and freak, and I walked home from fifth grade every single day just hoping I wouldn't grow anymore. And as I looked down at Jerome's trembling, tear-shuttered shape, I saw his notebook open to the perfect picture of a dragon devouring a little boy in the back of a classroom, and I remembered that drawing. The dragon was a tiger, the boy was much, much taller, but the picture was exactly the same. But the only thing I could tell Jerome that day is that it would be okay. But that's not what I was supposed to say. What I should have told him is we must be careful when listening to what others have said. Do not be discouraged. The truth is we are all imperfect to perfection. We are all screaming in opposite directions. We grow and rage and move and change and sometimes we wind up a little bit strange, but we are all golden. And our strengths should not be broken by those who would remind you that they are flawed too by insulting the way that you are made. And Jerome, remember, we are only as tall as the tops of our heads. Next time, measure the strength of your spirit instead. All right, scores in the air for our Pray to my Buddhas, they never say no. Let's do to Buddha what we did to Jesus Christ. Let's give him a channel and 50 bazillion dollars because if you don't give me the money in one week, I have received a vision from Buddha himself that Buddha will strike me dead. Praise Buddha. Buddha Khan, Buddha Khan, shake Buddha, 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 Buddha Khan. Okay, Buddha Chino, Ben and Jerry, uh, sliding down Buddha's big blue ice cream ass. All right. Buddha, Mary and Jesus, Judas, and the last surviving members of the original cast affair are all playing bingo at St. Andrews. Mary arrives early, but never leaves. Judas leaves early because Jesus keeps telling what the next number will be, and if there's one thing he can't stand, it's a cheater! Buddha ends up hanging out with a cast of hair. They go smoke a big fat one with Mary, who keeps going on and on about how big God really is. Buddha gets the munchies. They go hit Burger King. Meanwhile, Jesus knows what Mary's up to, and it's really pissing him off. I'll have my Buddha in a light cranberry sauce with the Chateau de Chateau. You've seen one Buddha, you've seen them all. Buddha bowling in a jumpsuit. Buddha skating a half pipe. Buddha wine tasting with assholes who's shit golf balls. Uh, Buddha copping a feel at Hooters. I mean, what are they going to do? He's Buddha. Buddha laying on a nude beach next to his Buddha bitches. They baby want to touch my Buddha. <laughs> Buddha scaring the hell out of skinny punk rockers in a mosh pit. Buddha knows when you've been sleeping. Buddha knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been transcendental, so self-actualized for Buddha's sake. Beanie Buddhas, bungee Buddhas. Buddha reincarnated as a meat stick at a summer arts festival. Buddha sitting in a lounge chair, sipping martinis, getting his saying backwards, starting three or four spin-off religions on the deck one afternoon at Fridays. 
Skydiving Buddha, Gummy Buddha. Buddha, get your fat ass off the sofa and clean the carports, Buddha. Marilyn Manson shock rock Buddhas. Buddha get naked for Howard Stern Buddhas. Uh, Irish river dance blubber pounding Buddhas. Uh, Tori Amos pissing and main, uh, moaning Buddhas. Almond brother redneck southern country fried uh, fat pics, fat back and grits racist Buddhas. Techno Buddha, Top 40 Buddha, Show 2 Buddha, Classic Buddha, Buddha standing on the street corner asking for change Buddhas, Buddha and Pamela Anderson videos Buddha, can't stop the Buddha Buddhas. Did I fail to mention, Buddha never asked you to die for him, and he doesn't intend on returning the favor. Ten laughing Buddhas, I keep them all in a row, pray to my Buddhas, they never say no. Let's give it up for Greg. That was beautiful. All right, judges, let's see those scores. I see one score. I need four more. Four scores. Hensis. I see three scores. Waiting for two more. Now I've got two more. All right. We have... An 8.8, is that a 9 or 9.6, 9.1, 8.7, and a 9.8 for Greg. Give it up for the poet, ladies and gentlemen. What? Well, you don't have to make fun of my glasses. I know they're as thick as... Yeah, what, was that an 8.6? All right, should we read them off again? Tracy's got it. Yeah. 27.4 for Greg, give it up for Greg. And our next to last poet in the first round, please give it up for Todd. I like to watch people interacting. I like to observe men and women trying to get laid without seeming to want to get laid. I like to watch. There were two men and three women, the redhead with the red dress like the tall guy with the blue shirts. The married woman was just having fun teasing a threesome fantasy. They danced close. They danced like lovers, the three of them. But the last girl, the skinny blonde, she liked the guy with the sweater vest. I was stunned. I was dumbfounded. I could not believe my eyes. This pretty, skinny, blonde liked the guy with the sweater vest. She sat on his lap and let him stroke her long, thick hair. There was a time when I was out there looking. The sweater vest would guarantee to keep the girls away. The sweater vest was a babe repellent. No man looking would dare wear the sweater vest to a bar. I was 12 and wore the sweater vest my mom bought for me to school. I came home with a black eye and a swollen lip. I learned at the end of a fist that the sweater vest is taboo. The sweater vest is everything a boy is not supposed to be. The sweater vest goes to church and earns pinched cheeks from ants proclaiming my cuteness. The sweater vest is the opposite of ripped jeans, t-shirts, and baseball caps. I learned at the end of a fist, and I vowed never to wear the sweater vest again. 
But this man never learned about the sweater vest. This man was wearing the sweater vest, and he was two smooth lines and three soft touches away from taking this girl home with him. I wanted to kick his ass. I had to teach him about the sweater vest. He had to learn what I had learned. There was a time just before closing, just before the band plays their final cover, there is a time when a man will take a woman home with him or stay to fight the other men. The sweater vest was walking out the door with this woman on his arm. Stop, I screamed. Stop, I need to know. And the sweater vest stopped, and this woman looked at me with those blue eyes that a moment ago had been removing the sweater vest from this man. What, she whispered. And that same soft voice used to whisper in the sweater vest ears. I need to know if you like the sweater vest. Do you like this man for the sweater vest or despite the sweater vest? Are you turned on by the sweater vest? I need to know. And the woman looked at me again with those same blue eyes that would shortly be watching the sweater vest fall to the floor. She looked at me and laughed. The sweater vest has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Scores in the air! Thank you so much, lovely bartenders. Your ability to cast light onto the audience. All right, we have almost all the scores. I promise I'll get them right. <laughs> we have an Eight, an 8.6, an 8.7, a 7.8, and an 8.8. For Todd, we applaud the poet here. We cannot control the judges, but we can control how we react to the poets. That gives us a total score of 25.3. And we are down to the last poet in the first round. Please welcome up to our stage, Dawn. Bella was a single mom. Two children and no man. She said he ran off one night leaving her alone to fend for this now shattered family. Sabrina was putting herself through law school, worked by day as a legal aide at night at the club in between as a student, filling in the empty moments with reminders of her potential. Natalia was an engineer paying off loans. Chelsea was taking care of her mother. Kira was a poet who wouldn't write about it for years. Dancers always have beautiful names. Signatures that are auras protecting the skin that gracefully ripples across the eyes of men. They rename themselves destiny. Maybe a little girl fantasy of long flowing hair and beauty. There was always beauty. But somewhere between tree climbing and prom, we learned to forget that daydream. Somewhere the picture turned Picasso and there are jagged edges of a fear-struck society's notion of what beauty should be. They sell it to us in soft colors and silent promises. The images of ten women, thin and faceless, standing in pretty panties, pulling jeans over perfect asses, saying this is what you want, this is what you're supposed to be. So is it any wonder there are men who need what women are taught is the sum of their worth? 
You see, dancers are as fragile as that Christmas tea set and as breakable as one as the first time one of the cups break. Abuse is a word they don't speak, but you can see the fracture of memory when their eyes search the past. These women are only what, doing what they've been taught to do all along. Your body is beauty and beauty is money. Now what are you willing to lose for it? These are side-of-the-road visions from a woman forgetful sometimes. Not the mystic rhythms of justification. This is a portrait of the truth. I got a call one morning. I need to move. Can you come? He had kicked her with steel-toed intention in the base of her spine. She could barely walk. And there were six of us packing and moving, no one saying a word. We were all afraid of crying. I saw her once after that. She disappeared after her back healed, once she could walk again. I have a picture from that day. We are both smiling to hold back the tears because we all know better. But we all want to be held like that first time we loved, cradled like a child still asleep from the car ride. But time makes phantoms of fantasies, makes it easy to forget that we wanted more. One by one, we left when we began to remember our real names. We never said goodbye, just walked away when we'd had enough. Oh, man. That'll show those fucks. Now we can eat our egg and movie muffin, then get back on the road, go to Hollywood, and stop those fucks from making that movie. No more Harry Bush nuns, no more dogs. We keep our eye on the prize and let nothing, and I mean nothing, distract us.